Would you stand with me as we honor God in his word and turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to be starting reading in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, I'll start reading in verse 9. Paul speaking to the church. Still here a few pages going, so great. That's, it, that's, it's, that's the beautiful sound that a pastor gets to hear. Pages turning in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1. If you haven't found it yet, go ahead and ask someone where it's at. <laughs> if you're turning to Genesis, that's a problem. Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Wow to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank You for this prayer for the church. And thank You for the example of Paul's heart for the church. He says, since the day we heard it, we don't cease to pray. And Lord, I pray for this church. I pray your blessing upon blessing upon blessing, that they would move from grace to grace, and that you would use this church as a force of supernatural things here in South Bay. And I pronounce your blessing over these people. That this would be a church that changes this world and have a reputation of turning this world upside down for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you have your seat? Paul loved the church, and so often pastors will get up here and tell you how to live your life and what you need to do in order to be more godly. That's part of our role. But the church is the bride of Christ, and I remember when my bride came walking down the aisle. I was just teaching the book of Revelation, and John is trying to describe the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And the only thing that could come out of his mouth was like, it's like a, a bride adorned getting ready for her groom. In other words, he was trying to get across how beautiful this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God as a gift to God's people was. And the only thing he could think about was how beautiful our bride is. I remember when Andrea came walking down the aisle, I, I was speechless. 
I mean, that was back in the 80s. Big hair, poofy dress, like the whole deal. And I thought she and still thinks that she is just the hottest blonde Christian babe that you've ever seen in your whole life. And she's mine, not yours. (laughs) Your wife likes that, that you clapped. (laughs) Because you're sitting next to her and she's your dark-haired blonde, not blonde Christian babe, right? And the church is the bride. And so tonight, I I don't want to be the pastor that tells you how to live your life. Tonight, I want to commend you. And I want to commend your faith. You're here on Thursday night to listen to me. That in and of itself, you need like a stroke of encouragement. Because Thursday is the worst day of the week. Because for some of us, it's like the second to the last day of the week. It's not the last day of the week. And all the problems come on Thursday because you can't solve them on Friday, right? This is a day, this is the perfect day for you to be here as I'm looking out at a group of people that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what you're doing. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're the church. Let me tell you about the church. Paul goes on in the list of these worries and woes that he's been through. Perils of robbers, perils of seas, perils of shipwreck. And he goes on and on and on. And then he says, not to mention my burden for the church. He loved the bride. Let me tell you something. If you say you like me, but you don't like my wife, you ain't coming to my house. And I don't care who you are in the body of Christ. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't like his bride, that's a problem. Because the bride, well, we can do some things that aren't so beautiful. Amen? Amen? You took a little bit too long to say amen to that. But the truth of the scripture is, You are the bride. You're a beautiful bride. And you're not beautiful because you're beautiful. Look at you, right? Look around, right? (laughs) And some of you spend hours on beauty, and some of you, well, the gentleman probably should spend a little more time. But the truth of the matter is you've been made beautiful because God makes all things beautiful in its time. And I am looking out at some of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. Because you're the bride. You're the church of the living God. You're the church. Now, Jesus introduces this church concept, okay, in Matthew 16. And he's saying, who do people say that I am? And uh, Peter has this profound statement that only comes from heaven. And he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus makes it very clear to Peter, that didn't come from you. Because nothing spiritual comes out of you yet, okay? And he makes it, (laughs) let me think of the ridicule to poor Simon Peter. He goes, Jesus goes, well, that wasn't from you. That came straight from God, right? That was not flesh and blood. That came straight from the Spirit. And he says, upon this rock, here it is, I will build my church. Now, I want you to hear that statement. I will build. You see, the responsibility of Jesus 
is to make you beautiful. He's building you up. He's ripping out the things that should not be a part of your life. And he's instilling into you the things that should be a part of your life. It's his job. It's his responsibility. He builds his church. He's the engineer, architect, contractor for the church. But he says, I will build, and listen to this, my church. Now that pronoun is so important. Because that pronoun says that the church is his. And he's going to build the building that he wants to build in you as he takes one spiritual stone at a time and he's making all things beautiful. Now what I love about the people of God, turn around and look at you. Look at you. Go ahead. Some of you have lots of hair. Some of you don't. Some of you are Hawaiian. Some of you are not. Some of you come from Guatemala. Any? Hola, como esta? Some of you don't. Some of you come from the Caribbean. Anyone? Nobody? I'm the only Caribbean person in here? I knew I was special. My teachers always told me. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, he takes our diversity, he unifies us through the blood of Christ, and he builds his church his way. Now, some of us don't like the way that Jesus builds. You know some of the things that he says in his word that we have a hard time with. Like, go the second mile. Okay? Who likes that one? Who likes to go the first mile, much less let me go the second one? Or, love your enemy. Those are some ones that we just kind of struggle with. You know, the best one is, turn the other cheek. They've already slapped you on one side, and now Jesus says, could you just turn the other side? I always go by the three-strike rule. I don't know if you know the three-strike rule. You entice them to hit you the third time because Jesus doesn't have a rule for the third time. And then you get to do whatever you want. Now you hear that and you say to yourself, no, Chet, that's not it. But you hear the turmoil sometimes of the struggle when Jesus wants to build his church his way. Based on this, Paul wrote a whole letter. He wrote a whole letter to Timothy, the young pastor. And in this letter in 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, he says, I'm writing you this letter so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the church, the house of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. I'm writing so you might know how to conduct yourself. God has a way to be glorified. And sometimes it doesn't fit our schedule. Sometimes it doesn't fit our plan. Sometimes it's not even our way. But the truth of the matter is, it's his building, and he's building it his way. And Paul wants Timothy to know the way that God is glorified is the way that God wants to be glorified. And he reminds him it's also the pillar and the ground of truth. And it's built on the rock. It's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us a lot of churches that we can learn from in the Bible. 
some of the churches, we want to learn what they did right. And some of the churches, like the church in Corinth, we actually read that book on how not to do church. The first Corinthians should be, the, the title of first Corinthians should be the church's ultimate failure. I mean, they just had problem after problem after problem that Paul had to deal with. I mean, they had all kinds of issues going on in this particular church. And so if we want to learn how not to do church, we'll learn from their failure so that we can be successful. But if there's any church that maybe we want to take a look at, if any bride we want to see, for me, it's the first church passionate, excited. Some of them had seen the resurrection. Some of them had witnessed the ascension. 500 people saw the risen Lord. And this church was passionate, willing to give their lives for Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, the Bible says that this particular church was filled with great grace and great power and great fear. So if there's any church that we want to learn from, if there's any church that we want to be like, well, maybe it would be taking a look at this church. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's learn about this church. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow, what a revival. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayer. I want to learn from this church. And there's seven things I want us to quickly write down that we can learn from this church. Because as the bride of Christ, as he's building us up, the first important thing for us to see, they had put spirituality as their priority. They made spirituality their priority. Not their jobs, not their careers, not their families. They made spirituality their priority. They put spiritual disciplines in their life because spirituality was their priority. When you see the story of of Lindsay Vaughn, it's amazing to me that when she put disciplines into her life, she was able to recover and go to the Olympics this year after so many injuries. But that's the truth. When we put things as priorities in our life, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And the disciplines that the church, the bride of Christ, puts in our life, we devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine. We devote ourselves to the Word of God. The Bible says that we devote ourselves to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. You have a 21-day prayer on its way. Of course you do. You're Calvary South Bay. And that's what you do. And I commend you because you're putting spiritual disciplines as a spiritual priority. That's a great church. Secondly, I want you to see verse 2. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through 
the apostles. Number two, if you're writing down, they were exercising their gifts. The apostles were operating in the gifts of the Spirit. They were utilizing their gifts of teaching. They were utilizing their gift of preaching and pastoring. They were utilizing their gift of healing and miracles and tongues and interpretation. And all of the gifts of the Spirit were exercising. And that's what this church does. Calvary Chapel, South Bay, you and I watch you over the period of the last three years of my life. You operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You're exercising your gifts. And I want to encourage you, Bride of Christ, fan the flame of your gifts. And if you don't know what your gift is, ask the people around you. And if you don't know the people around you, maybe it's an exhortation to get involved here at the church so that you can use the gifts that God has given you. I didn't know I was a speaker. I stuttered my whole life. And it wasn't until someone said to me, Chet, I think that you have got a gift of teaching. That I realized... I've got to use this gift for the body of Christ. Calvary South Bay, it's you. Thirdly, I want you to see, if you would see, go on with me into verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul. Excuse me, verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were unified, number three. They were unified in heart and mind. Unified in heart and mind. And in the mind, they all believed. They were walking together, believing that Jesus Christ had rose from the dead and that Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel could change people's lives. They believed that. And they marched forward in it, even willing to give their life for the sake of the gospel. But they also had the same hearts. They wanted to be a part They wanted to help. And what amazes me about this church is no matter what outreach, what event that is happening, even the Vacation Bible School, there are hundreds of volunteers because you're unified. You're one heart. You're one mind. And I commend you, Calvary South Bay. Bible goes on to say, In verse 45, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This church was generous. The the, the Old Testament principle of tithing. Oh no, they threw that out the door. This was not about giving 10%. This was about selling all that they had so that no one had any need. I've heard oftentimes people say that tithing is not a New Testament principle and they're exactly right. Generous giving is a New Testament principle. And Calvary South Bay, let me say, as I see God doing the supernatural from the outreaches that you're doing around the world to the local outreaches that you're doing here in, in, in uh, 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 South Bay, let me say, I'm watching you be generous, throwing out the idea of tithing and saying, I will give all of who I am for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said it best. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
So continuing daily, verse 46, the Bible says, With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This church had consistent fellowship. They met together on a daily basis. And we know from Jewish history, they would come together five times a day to pray. You come Sunday then you double dip on Thursday. Then you've got a life group that you go to some other time of the week. Listen, church, consistent fellowship is what makes a powerful church. Do you know the national average of church attendance is 1.7 times a month? Now, if I ate 1.7 times a month, I want you to think about it. If I only ate 1.7 times a month, I would be dead. I wouldn't even be 80. I was going to say I'd be 80 pounds. I'd be dead. You can't survive on 1.7 times a month. In the same way, a believer can't survive outside of fellowship. And here you are on Thursday nights seeking fellowship and choosing to be together. You're this church, but look what else they were doing. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. They had a lifestyle of worship. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Paul beseeches the church and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, with all that God has done for us, that you offer your body as a living sacrifice, that your life becomes a lifestyle of worship, not an event that happens on Sunday or Thursday or during your life group, but it's who you are. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, Jesus is separating sheep from goats. It's the end of the age. And he looks at the sheep and he says, Hey, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in jail, you came and visited me. And the group looks at Jesus and goes, Now, when were you in jail? I don't remember seeing you in jail. When did I go to jail? And they said, Now, when were you hungry that I fed you? And when were you thirsty? that I came and gave you something to drink. And Jesus goes, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did unto me. And I want you to hear what they said. It was so much a part of their lifestyle that they didn't even know that they were doing something special. It was just who they were. We are visitors of people in jail. We feed people that are hungry. We give people something to drink. It's just who we are. It's what Christ did for us. So we're just doing it for people. Now, Jesus, when did we do that? And Jesus says, that's the point. You don't even know when you did it because it just became who you were and who you are, Calvary South Bay. They had a lifestyle of worship. But I want you to see this last. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had a testimony. They had a testimony. Everyone is looking at the church and they're going, I can't believe this church. I can't believe what God is doing through this church. I can't believe what God is doing in Jerusalem. Have you heard? Did you hear what was happening in Jerusalem? Did you hear what they're doing? Did you hear they're giving away their money? Did you hear away they're giving away their time? Did you hear all of the things that they're doing? You got to check this place out. This church had a powerful testimony 
and they were known for loving one another. So I asked myself, what's our testimony? We're the bride, so loved by Jesus, he's building us up. What do people know us as? If I say the name King David, you think mighty warrior. Maybe you think poet. You might think praise worship leader. But if I say the name Jezebel, well, you don't see a lot of Jezzies in the nursery. You see a lot of Davids, but you don't hear, come here, little Jezebel. Who names their child Jezebel? No, I've met a Jezebel, and I apologize to her for her parents' sake. You'll see a lot of maybe Lukes, little Lukes running around and doing their things, but they're... Well, Benedict Arnold's just really aren't a famous name any longer. If you don't know who Benedict Arnold is, you need to study a little more U.S. history. You'll see maybe quite a few Abrahams, right? But do you see any Judases? Because everything's in a name. I wanted to name my daughter Olivia. All three of my daughters, I want to think of it, Olivia Lowe, Olivia Lowe. Just kind of beautiful, right? Olivia Lowe. But I married a woman who knew an Olivia in high school. <laughs> and Olivia was wicked. So when I said when, to my wife, when we knew she was pregnant with our daughter, My whole life, I have wanted to name our daughter Olivia. She threw up. (laughs) She said it was morning sickness, but I'm convinced now when she's not allowed me to name one. Now, if your name is Olivia, I'm sorry. But I hope you're a better Olivia than what my wife's friend was in high school. Because she would not allow me to name any one of my daughters Olivia because of the name, that this name had a representation. And I ask myself, what's my testimony? When people say Chet, what comes to their heart? What comes to their mind? When my wife thinks Chet, well, I can tell you, she just texted me before I got here. She said, I'm not with you, my love, but I'm praying for you. I can't wait to get home tonight. I'm teaching Song of Solomon to our young adults. I love teaching Song of Solomon. I'm back. (laughs) What's your testimony? When they say Scott at work, what does Scott mean? And when they say Sarah, what does Sarah mean? Because each one of us have a name, and that name has a testimony, and that name means something. And can I say Calvary Chapel South Bay has a name. You're known for your diversity. You're known for your love. You're known for your fellowship. You're known for spreading the gospel, planting churches, 
here and around the world. Do you know that's your testimony? When I say I'm going to teach at Calvary Chapel South Bay, no one goes, oh gosh, you're going to Calvary South Bay. Do you have any idea what goes on? I mean, the people there are wicked. When you walk in, they don't smile. They just stare you up and down and say, look at you. You heathen. Now, let me tell you what happens. When I walk in here, I get smothered in hugs. I get chocolate chip cookies from the cafe. I get food. I love coming to South Bay. Whenever I'm depressed, I want to teach here. (coughs) Because of the way that you make me feel. But it's not just me. See, this is a church where there is great grace. Because each one of you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you all know where you've come from. So anyone who walks from that door, you just look at them with love and mercy and say, we'll show you the way. That's this church. That's your testimony. The Roman church. Oh, the Roman church in the Bible, they were known for their faith being proclaimed around the world. They were filled with faith. The church of the Thessalonians. Oh, when Paul writes them about their testimony, he said, you, works of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope, this is Calvary South Bay. Works of faith? Missions around the world. Labors of love? Your partnership in the gospel for reaching at-risk kids. Endurance of hope? (laughs) You're sitting through my Bible study. church, this is my prayer for you. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? Now, I know this book was written 2,000 years ago, but the Holy Spirit wrote it as a letter to Calvary South Bay. This, this letter is to you, and I want you to hear this letter. I want it to span the, 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 the depth of time And I want you to read this letter as you're reading, oh, you know, ladies, those love letters that your husband used to write that you saved in a shoebox. And you pull them out every once in a while, especially when he's snoring on the couch. Just to remind yourselves of the letters that he used to write. Gentlemen, that's a hint. Write one tonight. My wife has a love letter that I wrote her. It was the first love letter that I ever wrote her. She called me at the end of the love letter. She's crying, and I thought, I have really touched her heart. She can't even talk. She's crying. And I go, yes, Andrea? She goes, I got your letter. I'm like, wow. We weren't married yet, and I'm thinking, I have touched her heart. She goes, I got your letter. I go, yeah? She goes, how could you? (laughs) How could I? And I'm thinking, like, this is going to go somewhere different than where it's headed. And I go, well, I mean, I just wanted you to know how much. She goes, no, no, how could you? And I I mean, like, she's, like, crying. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like tears, snot, the whole thing, like, on the phone. I can sense it. 
And I go, well, I'm like, great, what did I do? She goes, I go, what, 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 was something wrong? Was something wrong? Wrong! You know, going on and on, right? Sorry, I'm making such a big deal, but it was such a big deal. She goes, you ended the letter with God bless. Who writes God bless at the end of a love letter? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. And let me tell you something, I have never written God bless on another letter again. (laughs) To her, to anyone, I am cursed with that phone call. So there's some love letters that maybe you don't want to remind yourself of, but could you just for a moment let this letter be a love letter straight to your heart. Paul. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus. Paul would write this letter to this church 10 years after his first visit. He would write this letter to this church while he's spending some time in a Roman jail. And he's not spending his time pouting. No, he's using this time for God and his glory. I went to a convalescent home yesterday with my daughters, Tuesday night with my daughters. And we went and visited a a lady by the name of Mary. Mary's 98 years old, and she's just sitting there. And I said to her, Mary, how are you? And she just lit up when I walked in the room with my daughters. She just loves our family, and we just love her so dearly. And she said, oh, so good to see you. I said, Mary, what are you doing here in this bed? Oh, I'm praying. And she's not using this bed for any other reason than to change her ministry into what God has called her to do and to be. And I got a text message from her daughter yesterday. You wore my mother out. I was like, I was only there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the max. And she goes, she was so excited. Her heart rate was going for an hour and a half after you left. You were the most healthiest thing that has happened to her for the last two months. So I'm going to go back Tuesday again. (laughs) Because she touched my heart. And this church had touched Paul's heart. Now, I need to remind you of who Paul is. This is the man that was adamantly against the, against the church, and now he's writing a thank you letter to the church. This is a man who believed a lie, and now he's refuting lies in this letter. This is a man who caused nothing but turmoil and strife in the church, and now he's settling an argument between two of the ladies in the church. Let me tell you something about the church. We have the power to change because of the power of the gospel. We are not perfect, but we are aiming to get there. That's this church. And so he writes this church to communicate the power of the gospel. Now, he writes his church in much different letter greeting than most of his other letters. Most of his letters, he goes, Paul, an apostle, but not to this church. This church was in his heart. This church, he says, Paul, a bond servant. 
He writes this church and he says, I have willingly chose to submit to my master. I am willingly chosen to use this experience in my jail because I want to encourage you because this is where my Jesus has me. And while he's in jail, he's writing to encourage them. And it's what I want to do tonight. Would you look? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes to the saints. has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Listen, listen. Just call me Saint Chet. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Now, in order to be a Catholic, Roman Catholic saint, you have to do a miracle after you're dead. How that happens, I don't know. And I think we have kind of made this word a little bit more than what it needs to be because each one of you have the title saint in front of you. Oh, surely not because of what you've done. You're the bride. Because of what Jesus has done He calls you a saint, a saint. Now, we don't know everyone that was in this church. We know a few of them. We know Lydia was in the church of Philippi. Lydia, well, Lydia was a fashion queen. She was wealthy. She wore nothing but Prada. Let me tell you something. She had a coach purse. She had heels up to heel. She, I mean, she probably had some work done, and she is just walking around. This was Lydia. She was in this church. She was a dealer of purple. She was a very wealthy woman. And then in this church was the demoniac slave girl who walked around looking at Paul going, this guy says he's from Jesus. (laughs) She was filled with a demon and Paul delivers her of the demon. This girl was in that church. You know who else was in this church? The Philippian jailer. The guy that put Paul in jail, he is in this church. And you know what I love about the gospel? I love that the gospel penetrates all social, racial, and religious backgrounds and builds a new kingdom of God right here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Would you look at the diversity of every tribe, tongue, and nation in the church of the living God? Now, What amazes me about the gospel and the church is the potpourri of people. Because it's natural for us to hang out with people that we're like. It's supernatural for us to hang out with people that irritate us. People that wear penny loafers. I mean, look at me. I asked Pastor Jeff if I could wear sandals. He agreed. Actually, I did it. I hope you agree if you're listening. (laughs) I'm different than penny loafer people. I don't tuck my shirts in. I feel uncomfortable. When I wear a suit, I feel like a clown. (laughs) So when I do funerals or I do weddings... I feel like I'm bozo sitting up there going, you know, I don't wear ties. I think ties were invented by women. (laughs) I do. I think a very angry wife invented a tie and he, she wanted to choke her husband. So she invented the tie and it just gave her the feeling of choking her husband. 
Now, some of you are going, I wear a tie. Some of you are going, I've got penny loafers on right now. In fact, a guy just walked out the back. Some of you are a lot different than me. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we all get to hang together, that a fashion diva like Lydia and a demoniac girl can come together in the church, and that was the church of Philippi. And he writes this church, and I want you to hear what he says. I thank my God. Now listen, Calvary South Bay, because this is the Holy Spirit's heart to you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Two things quickly I want to point out. Paul says, we get to hang out together. The fellowship of the gospel. We get to hang out together. And there's nothing better than hanging out together. We get to create memories together. We get to create memories whereby we get to glorify God together and do baptisms together. We get to go on mission trips together and watch people's lives get changed. We get to come together and pray for 21 days. We get to watch each other change and become more and more like God. In fact, we can be confident. We get to hang out together. Look what else he says in verse 7. And just as it's right for me to think this of you, Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. We get to hang out together through the thick and the thin. And no matter what goes on in our lives, we have each other, the fellowship of the gospel. Calvary South Bay, you have each other, you're not alone. You ain't perfect, but neither is the person sitting next to you. And maybe if we choose to have some grace for each other, hanging out would be a lot more fun. My wife, when we were raising our children first, and we're still raising children. You guys know we have nine. They'll never go away. They just keep coming back. And and we love it. (laughs) Um, I'm like, get married already, right? Go make your own family. My daughter, she goes, I'm 15. Give me some time, right? And my wife brought all these parenting books home. She brought one book home, Raising Kids God's Way. Well, I read the book, and I'm like, well, we must be raising kids Satan's way because we ain't doing nothing that they're telling us to do. And I threw all the books away. She said to me, she goes, what are we going to do? I go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to live by this rule. Here's the rule for our family. You have grace for me. I'll have grace for you. Let's try to get through this thing together. (laughs) What a beautiful rule for our church. That we just have grace for each other. Because some of you, when you laugh, you snort. (laughs) It's disgusting. Someone just snorted. 
Some of you, when you eat, you eat like this. It's gross. Some of you right now, you have no idea how you're irritating me. Stop! Some of you... Thanks. But we get to do it together. Snorting and and tapping our legs and falling asleep while I'm teaching. Listen, we get to do it together. And we can have grace for each other because I guarantee when you're teaching, I'll fall asleep too. And you know why? It's the second point. Paul mentions it here. I've got you in my heart because we're confirming the gospel. And I want to tell you how we confirm the gospel. We end here in verse 8. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment. Listen to his prayer. Here's how we get to all hang out together that your love would grow and abound. You see, you may graduate college, but it's going to be awfully hard finding a job because employers are looking for people with experience. You might have the knowledge, but they want the experience. And all of us know that we're to love unconditionally, but the church shows it. It's not just knowledge. No, it's the discernment on how to use the knowledge that God has given you. And Paul says, let your love grow and abound. He then prays this. Listen to what he prays. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may approve. Love is the most excellent way. And though it takes a lifetime for you to become the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, strive with all of your heart to become that person. Love is the most excellent way. He goes on, he says, I'm praying for you that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You know what he's saying? Be real. Don't do the hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. And you just fought with your wife on the way to church. A friend of mine asked me today, what can I pray for you? You know what I said? You want the real answer or you want the pastor answer? I said, she goes, I want the real answer. And I gave it to her. She goes, well, I don't know if I wanted you to be that real. the church. He says, be sincere. And he says, be without offense. When people are sincere, love them unconditionally. Don't offend them by putting up your nose and walking away. No, be sincere and without offense. Be unconditional. Paul was. He sent a letter to the jailer that jailed him. Now, let me tell you, those jailers weren't nice. Paul didn't care. I'm not going to offend you just because you offended me. I'd rather take the offense and love you. And then he says this, being filled with the fruits of righteousness 
which are Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You will know a tree by its fruit. Apricots can't bear oranges. Oranges can't bear apricots. Good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Ask the demoniac girl. She was no longer mocking Paul. She was receiving a letter from a man that she mocked saying, every time I think about you, there's joy in my heart. This glorifies God. The end of Jesus' life in John 17, 4, he said this. I've glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. Church. John was 99 years old and Clement writes of him that a young man walked up to him and asked him, John, why do you always say little children love one another? The age of 99, John, after being boiled and put on the island of Patmos, there dying in Ephesus, he looked at this young man and said, young man, if this be done, It is enough. Love one another. How great it is to see this church living out that scripture. I'm proud of you. And I love you. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that this church would be filled with your love. in your name we pray. Amen.